Oh, hey there. Um, thanks for downloading the show. Osha here. And um, I just wanted to say that uh, I'm grateful you made it. Thanks for being a part of it. Thanks for downloading it, whatever you're up to today. You're at the gym, you're doing your laundry, you're going for a run, you're washing the dishes, you're cleaning the house, whatever it is you're doing, walking the dogs. Um, thanks for listening to the show. Podcasts, they are free to listen to. You're free to listen to this, but they're not free to make. There's a couple of people I pay to help me do this, Andy and Rachel. They're very good at what they do. So you might hear an ad. If you hear an ad, thank you. You're helping me pay the bills. If you don't hear an ad, you'll hear Emma say something cool. Here we go. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. We're at a really interesting point in the whole cycle of the evolution of news in the last, you know, 100 years. I think the public are becoming more discerning now about what they will accept and what they won't accept. And I think that sort of going back to what I would call the bedrock, the base of proper, trusted, and people will start to seek this out and are now prepared to pay for it. And I think that's a really great step that the Australian public and even our children, I mean, I say to my children, free news does not equal quality news. You know how much our journalists and photographers work. You've seen it. You know that that costs money. And I'm afraid to say, if you want to read something that's trusted and accurate and reliable, you're going to have to pay for it. And I think we're at now that tipping point where the Australian public can see, look, just because I can Google it for free, I'm not sure that that's actually giving me an accurate view of that topic. And I want to know more about it. I want to have a deeper understanding. And I think that's really encouraging. That is the CEO of the Australian Associated Press, Emma Codroy. And this is episode 375 of Better Than Yesterday. Hello and thank you so much for being here. This is Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thanks for being a part of the show. This is a bi-weekly podcast that hopes to helpfully help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. Something that you hear on this show will help you go out like tonight. You'll be like, you know what? Yesterday was a good one. Today was, in fact, today was better than it was yesterday. Yeah, that's it. So there you go. There's 375 interviews and um, I'm here twice a week, basically. Mondays, I'm here with a guest. Fridays, I'm here with you. 
374 other interviews and I don't know how many other Fridays. So there's a lot. Um, currently chatting on Fridays, I'm chatting about using writing as a um, mental health first aid tool and um, thanks heaps for the feedback on that. Um, seems to be resonating with you, so cheers. I appreciate that. Who am I? I'm Osher Ginsberg. I'm a TV host and an author and a podcaster and a dad and a stepdad um, from Sydney, Australia, and um, I've been making this podcast since 2013. I'm really grateful to get Emma on the show today. She is the CEO of the Australian Associated Press because uh, this week in Australia, it is early March 2021, and so if you're listening to this in five years, this week in Australia, we're, we're having a very robust conversation about power being held to account in our country. And um, there's nothing more important than a free and independent press to hold democracy to account. So before we get into the chat with Emma, if conversations with um, excellent women who are in the business of holding power to account is up your alley, you may want to slide on back to episode 94 with Lee Sales. Yes, indeed. Episode 94 with Lee Sales, the great and powerful Lee Sales. She is a fantastic Australian journalist. She also hosts a podcast called Chat 10 Books 3. And um, episode 94, it was ways, way back. I went to her office at the ABC in Ultimo to do it. And it's a great conversation, but I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it, particularly when you want to hear what it's like for someone. We talk at the time, I believe the Prime Minister was Malcolm Turnbull. When you listen to someone who's talking about, I don't know, you know, this is what I do when I'm getting ready to go toe-to-toe with someone who doesn't like being held to account. <laughs> It's pretty good. It's a pretty good listen. It's my job. If you have an opinion and if your opinion is worth having or if you want to pursue a particular policy, well, then how worthwhile can it be or how good can it be if it can't stand up to basic scrutiny? So anyone who comes on, I'll sort of step back and think, okay, what are the holes in their argument and how do I sort of press them to see if they can actually explain away those holes? And so from my perspective, the best interviews are the ones where I've thought, okay, here's the holes, and then the person actually is able to bat away my questions really effectively. And I don't mean people just stonewalling. I mean the people who actually try to persuade you and address what you're saying. If I get to the end of it and I feel like I've sort of got nothing left to ask because they've really effectively addressed all of that, I think that's a good interview. And I think it serves the other person's purpose as well because if viewers at home are persuaded that, oh, well, she gave that person a pretty tough going over and they've actually answered it and acquitted themselves pretty well, then surely that makes their position more persuasive and they're more likely then to persuade the public. So slide on back there to episode 94 if you want to hear a little bit with Lee Sales uh, here on the show. So let me tell you about my guest today. Emma Kodroy is the CEO of the Australian Associated Press. There's been a lot to say about media diversity in Australia in the last few weeks, particularly in the light of Facebook banning news on Australian news feeds for um, about a week or so there. We were all kind of really, our faces were held to the light about what the world looks like when there's only one or two lenses to look through. Those lenses are very large news corporations um, that are interested in keeping their business models afloat and only telling the stories from their particular angles. Not a great way to keep democracy alive in anyone's book. The evidence is there. 
Media diversity is so vitally important, vitally important. And the Australian Associated Press is a massive, massive part of that because it's just not financially viable for smaller publications or any publications really to, to send reporters like out to cover regional sport. Like no one can afford to keep a regional news desk, all right? So it's up to the Australian Associated Press to bring those stories that are happening in our country, stories that really affect us in cities, all right? Stories about Indigenous health, stories about Indigenous sport, stories about how climate change is affecting parts of our country that are otherwise unseen. Really, really important because if you can't see it, you don't know about it. And a problem starting there will eventually make its way to the greater society and the earlier we know about it, the better we can do something about it now. The Australian Associated Press has been making sure that those stories are being told right across the news cycle for many, many, many years now. It is so vitally important that power is held to account. Independent journalism, independent photojournalism has never, ever been more important, all right? When you have large news organisations who have particularly skewed editorial agendas around, for example, fossil fuels or climate change or Indigenous sport, you're only ever going to see the story from that lens. You're never going to see the story from another angle and therefore your truth is now distorted. A large part of the reason that you saw the devastating images of the bushfires that obliterated so much of Australia in 2019-2020 was because of Australian Associated Press photographers. The images that went around the world were the ones from those shooters. Those were the images that told the story. Issues around climate change, inequality in our community, rural issues, th things that are happening that are really, truly, vitally important for all of Australia. These are the things that the Australian Associated Press is busy working hard to make sure are visible and are in the public eye because democracy only works when power is held to account. That is the only way democracy works. Independent journalism holds power to account, all right? The fourth estate is a very important part of democracy, of any democracy, and independent journalism is a vital, vital part of that fourth estate. I'm so happy to have Emma on the show today. Enjoy this. If you haven't really thought about how you get your news or what news is, you're about to get really your mind quite blown here. So <laughs> it's pretty great. Emma's she's fantastic. She's the only woman in the world to, to run a news agency, not like a news agency and, and not, not, you know, you know what I'm talking about, like an agency that provides news, not a news agent. Yes. Clear distinction? Yeah. No, she is a, a very, very powerful person. And um, I'm so grateful she had the time to come on the show today to speak about the work that the AAP is doing. Enjoy this conversation with Emma Codroy. How are you today, Emma? I'm very well on this miserable day in Sydney, but very well otherwise. I'm happy to have a... I love a bit of a cloudy day because, you know, we've got a baby who's currently in the Terry Towling onesie part of life. And on a cloudy day when it's 14 degrees outside and you're cuddling a baby in a Terry Towling onesie, yeah. there literally is nothing better. There is nothing better. <laughs> that, that's, that's blood pressure reducing right there, I think. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> we are talking today because you are the new head honcho of the Australian Associated Press, which is a very exciting position to hold. I believe that's what it says in your business card, doesn't it? Head honcho? 
Uh, well, yes, various other words as well, but that, that one, yep, boss lady, I think somebody, one of my staff members calls me. <laughs> <laughs> you take take this role at a very interesting time in the Associated Press's history. For people who are, who are listening who might be going like, what? They might have seen AAP written at the bottom of a photo. They may have seen AAP as a byline on an article that they may have scrolled by. Would it be okay if we kind of painted the picture a bit as to what the AAP has been in the past, what happened and where we are now? Would it be okay if we kind of, I think if we hit those three bits, we might be able to kind of get why you and I are speaking today. Would it be okay if we did that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great idea. If you don't mind going through it. So first, because I, my grandfather worked for the Associated Press in Prague when the Nazis became, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> took over the city and as a, uh, a Jewish political journalist probably wasn't that safe so the AAP actually smuggled him out and got him to London well oh. this is the story my grandmother told me so the Associated Press has been an important part of holding democracy to account for a very very long time how did the Associated Press start in Australia so 85 years ago, AAP, so the Associated Press is the American equivalent of us and we're the Australian Associated Press and we were actually started, believe it or not, by uh, nine, which was then Fairfax and News Corp coming together and, and also West Australian News coming together to pull in the foreign news and to bring it into Australia and then they decided while they were doing that, they should establish it as a newswire agency because the sort of news that a newswire does, I mean, it's not the sort of the sexy exposés, it's more the courts, it's the politics, it's the breaking news, it's sport, it's that sort of day-to-day news gathering that is really expensive and so it was much cheaper for a whole lot of parties to come together and to say, okay, well, we'll pay, you know, X percent of all of that and somebody else pays another percent and it just becomes far more economical to be able to actually get that sort of raw news, that sort of base news, if that makes sense. Right. And besides bringing the international news in, they thought, well, we should probably do something locally? Yes, correct. Yeah. So they then uh, set up the news agency or the news wire and a whole heap of journalists were hired and photographers and production to essentially go out and do so that you didn't end up having, you know, everyone paying to go to the same court case. It's much more economical to have one court reporter in there covering the one court case and then supply that one story to lots of different people. Right. And this existed from, goodness, what did you say? It was the, the 40s? It's, well, it's, we've been around for 85 years. So, yep, from the 1935, I think it was. Right. right? So things no, are, My maths is not that good. <laughs> no, but it, it makes sense. You know, things are getting pretty tricky in Europe. We want to be sure that we're, you know, aware of what's going on day to day. Germany's, you know, annexing, you know, Poland, things like that. Let's yep. get a handle on what's happening here. And then it yep. kind of, it, it continues from them. And how in that time, over the various political upheavals through the Cold War, through uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall, for example, mm. where's the value in having that associated press in Australian journalism? Well, I think AAP's always been really independent. It's been the independent newswire in Australia. And I think the value has been that we've 
the Australian public's been able to be informed in a in a very global sense because obviously all that foreign news content's coming in through AAP and then being distributed out to all of our customers, which are the the newspapers, it's the and the radio stations and the now the websites. It's all those platforms that you read and consume news on. So all of that foreign material came in and kept Australians in in the know about what was happening globally. But equally, information about Australia went back out to the world because that's the way that a news wire works. We bring in the foreign wires. We also create content or we write stories here in Australia, but we take those stories that we write and send those back out globally. Can we just touch on a moment in why independent press is so important in a functioning democracy? Because I think it's important to lay this brick before we get to the rest of this conversation. <laughs> well, that's probably the most fundamental brick that you'll <laughs> that we'll be talking about today. So I think, I mean, an independent press such as AAP, I mean, there are news wires all over the world in some countries. In, in most democracies, those news wires are independent, as in they are not owned by one entity. And I guess that's what I'm talking about when I talk about independence. And so the reason that that's important is if you've got something owned by one entity, you're always going to have a level of ideology or there'll be a think or a way of presenting information that will come from an ideological standpoint. When you've got an entity that's owned by you know numerous shareholders or in our case now as a not-for-profit, and if your constitution reflects that, then you are less prone to political interference. You are less prone to uh, reporting in an ideological way. So the independence is really important because it just means that your service can be totally trusted to be accurate and fact-based and bipartisan or nonpartisan. I won't say the name of the outlet, but I, I guess what you're talking about is when there are numerous stakeholders it generally lends itself to a centrist viewpoint because of the various aspects of the people who are putting the the cash in to create this thing. It eventually balances out somewhere around where the rest of society is, which is generally centrist. Then if you have one particular stakeholder, it's very easy to have a chain of command where there is one person at the top, which is usually going to be a white guy in his 50s or 60s, that goes, no, this is how we look at this. And this has been parodied and it's seen all the time in various tropes. In Secession, the TV show, you can see it quite clearly. In every <laughs> every time you see a, a, a news TV or the morning show, oh, was it The Morning Wars? You see it in Morning Wars. But it would be funny if it weren't true. I have it on absolute firsthand evidence from someone who worked at this particular outlet that the head honcho, you know, person who had your role, the CEO role, at this particular outlet, I won't say what, said, we don't make people think, we make people feel. And <laughs> that was the lens through which all of their, I'm making the air quotes, news came out of. So it stopped being news. It became, we're just making you have an emotional reaction. We are not informing you to make a democratic decision. We are making you either angry, <laughs> usually, <laughs> or afraid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is horrible. And frankly, quite concerning. Uh, I mean, I think the other real value of an of, of, the, of what a newswire does is also that we our whole way of writing is factual, so it's fact based writing, so that exactly what you just said, the public 
think and form their opinion about the material that is being presented. It's not opinion. So we're not writing opinion columns and opinion pieces. We are just presenting the fact-based, you know, accurate news. And I think that's a critical function because it allows every, it allows other people, it allows other media outlets to come in and take that news. And then if they want to write an opinion piece on it or if they want to comment on the fact-based, then people can differentiate between the opinion and the fact-based. When you've got a non-independent news source of the version that you just described, it becomes very blurred. Are you reading an opinion or are you reading a factual account? Particularly if it comes in between a news jingle and a weather sting. (laughs) (laughs) That might have given it away. (laughs) (laughs) When it comes to holding that the independent press is a, they call it the fourth estate, when an independent press is uh, the role that it has in our community. Can you think of a, what's a good example of an independent press holding democracy to account? Something that we can go, ah, there's something that the press did that meant that, you know, this particular, you know, Mm -hmm. government couldn't get away with this particular thing. I'll just give you a live example. I mean, I think for us, as I said to you before, we we do the day in, the day out, just the heavy lifting on actually just being there at, you know, in court, being there in parliament, going to all the press conferences, not just a press conference that might be selected because you want to cover that particular mm-hmm. politician. Not just the so Barnaby and, Joyce one after he's had his affair. It's the really well, boring just, one about yeah, a pipeline just, in Logan. <laughs> <laughs> but to give people sort of broad coverage. But I think a, a, an interesting story that we covered uh, that I think did involve quite a lot of public discussion and debate was the um, the situation with the nannies that got led into Australia, which was a ministerial review by Peter Dutton. You might recall that story. So we had, you know, had information. We broke that story. and Just, just in case, this, this podcast is running for eight years. So there's a chance <laughs> that someone, there's a chance that someone might listen to this in eight years. Can you give us a very quick version? Very good. All right. What had happened was there was, quite a lot of debate at the time about asylum seekers and whether Australia was treating them equitably or not or fairly. And then there was a story that two nannies had arrived in Australia at the airport and that they had been essentially referred on the phone to the minister and that Peter Dutton, the minister, had let them come straight through as in intervened at the airport to allow them to come through. We reported on that story. Unfortunately for us, we reported on it the same day that the ball tampering incident occurred in with the Australian cricket team. So it got a little bit assumed, but but that story went on to get quite a lot of uh, attention from all media because it became apparent that was it the case that it had been, you know, was there some relationship between the, the nannies, bosses and Peter Dutton. And anyway, so it got quite a lot of airplay. Now, without us covering that story, that to me is a story of great public interest. It's important that the Australian public understand how ministerial prerogatives are exercised and whether they're done appropriately and correctly. And I think that to me is probably quite a good example of what you were just discussing. And and so then the people were able to make an informed decision about this person next time it came to an election because they went, hang on a second, here's this guy telling me this, that and the other. Yeah. Yet this is the same guy who's more than willing to get on the phone and, you know, help out one of the boys. And that's an important thing to know when you go to take your little pencil and fill out the boxes. 
when you're yeah. on, on polling day. Very, yeah. very, very important. So the Associated Press, like every news organisation, has been, you know, everything's been bifurcated and, and bifurcated and, and fractured again and again and again since about, uh, again, maybe the mid-2000s when broadband internet really kicked into here in Australia and even more so when mobile touchscreens and things like that popped in around late 2000s. So uh, as business models, we've all been trying to figure out a way to, to work. What was happening to the Associated Press before your time? What, what, was, what was going to happen to it? So I've actually been at AAP for nearly 20 years, believe it or not. So I was the company lawyer there for a long, long time. And I only just, I've recently just stepped into the CEO role. But if you're talking about the lead up to the closure, is that yes. what you're, yeah. So, I mean, it's often said for news-wise particularly that we are very reliant on our customers' welfare and well-being. So it's often said that when our customers sneeze, we catch the cold. So what has been happening progressively in not just the Australian media landscape, but globally has been a real race to the bottom in the sense of money, in the sense of revenue, in the sense of closures of newsrooms. And so what had happened, I guess, in the lead up to where we are now, AAP, a decision was made by our shareholders that, you know, we were no longer financially viable or they did not want to, I think the the word from one of them was that they did not want to subsidise their competitors and that the model for a newswire was, was not going to be able to be sustained. So that made a decision to close us. This was met with quite a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth, I would say, around Australia because people, particularly news-consuming Australians, realised that this was going to have a really serious impact on, on not just on news reporting in Australia but on democracy. And so a group of a consortia of philanthropists, 35 of them, came together and decided to save it. So they put in some of them quite significant amounts of money to ensure that we could be purchased. So they essentially purchased it from the shareholders, which was News Corporation and Nine and West Australian News, and they then set it up as a not-for-profit. So that's where we are now. It's a smaller venture, but it's a not-for-profit. I always like to ask this question because it helps me understand sometimes, helps me get a handle on why things are happening. Who benefits if the Associated Press ceases to exist? At a broad level, if we cease to exist, you've got 400 outlets across Australia that will no longer be able to get news from us, which means that you've got vast waves, independent newspapers, independent, you know, smaller websites, even bigger players like SBS and ABC and The Guardian and The Daily Mail. All of those publications will have to go out and try and set up news bureaus in all the states and territories in Australia to be able to gather the news that we do. Now, that's cost prohibitive. I mean, I know what our costs are, so I know that it's unlikely that those outlets can sustain those costs. So what will then happen is either their service will become degraded or they will, you know, there'll be gaps in their coverage and that will then mean quite likely that you will have a contraction of the media market and that you would then have more reliance placed on I guess, the people with the biggest voices in Australian media. And when it comes to those people with the biggest voices in Australian media, the the cynical part of me wants to imagine that someone from the Minerals Council calls up someone, one 
usually white man, uh, in his 50s or 60s and says, listen, we need a bit of a hand here uh, and I'll sort you out at golf next weekend. And then what do you know? There's a front page that says, you know, gold rush coming to insert marginal seat here, <laughs> you know, and nothing at all about the environmental impact statement, nothing at all about the displaced people, nothing at all about the fact that some, you know, eastern tailed bilby is going to be extinct because of it. That's the cynical part of me that thinks that and worries quite gravely that these things are in our future. I think I've said it a couple of times that AAP really is I say we are, you know, essential democratic infrastructure because we allow a plurality of voices in Australia. Without us, the costs of news gathering are really, really very, very high and all of those other outlets that I've just described would not be, I don't believe, would be in a position to be able to go out and get the sort of news that we provide to them to put into their papers. So it will mean exactly what you say, you're going to have a contraction of the market one of our competitors has said they're going to launch their own newswire service. So that's, I guess, the only other possibility is that they take that. Now, that's News Corp. So News Corp's newswire service, that will be our competitor in a couple of months' time. The problem with that is that they're wholesaling and retailing in the same market. So their customers will also be their competitors, and that's a pretty difficult thing to do. When it comes to, as you mentioned, a race to the bottom as far as telling of the story and a race to the bottom as far as the value of a story. What does that do to it? Because it seems that over the last, probably since around 2015, it was right before Brexit, the news just started to become like a freaking circus. You know, it's not like it wasn't in the past and every now and again, like maybe, maybe once a week, there'd be a story that's like, wow. But now it's, it's literally like every 28 minutes, there's something that sits you on your ass and goes, whoa, what are we doing? Is that an effect of the way that people are viewing news? Is that an effect of we have to keep them clicking? I think so. I think also, I mean, it's been, obviously, everyone is aware of the rise of fake news and the deep fakes where you can't actually tell that the news is fake. And that's something that AAP has been quite we've, we've got a fact-checking unit we're only we're one of only three in Australia and we've just fact-checked the New Zealand election you know we did an amazing job over there so much so that politicians were retweeting our fact-checked articles so what we would and by that what we would do is we would take a statement that a politician had made in the course of an election we would go through we would apply journalistic rigor and reporting skills to actually check and see if that statement is true and, and accurate. And if it is accurate, then we will agree. And if it's not, we will say it's it's factually incorrect, as in it is not true. And that, I think, that's come about as a result of exactly what you've just described, Osha, which is the rise of, well, <laughs> rubbish masquerading as news stories, if you want to call it that. They're not news stories. They're either clickbait or to try and get you interested in something that actually has no news merit. And I think that's the concern that I have and that's why I think AAP is so important is that the stories that we put out are all, they had journalistic rigour and editorial processes applied to them. They're actually, they're, they're true news stories. We don't derive any, we don't drive any money from advertising or any money from uh, direct subscribers as in, you know, you or I taking our service. So there's no incentive for us to have that sort of content and I call it content, not news stories, you know, as part of our service. 
I don't know if I'm representative, and you probably have done a fair amount of research on this. I don't know if I'm representative of much of the market, but for my own health, because of what I've just described, for my own health, I have gone to checking the news once a day in the morning when I have something to connect with that is real and in my life directly afterwards. I allow myself 10 minutes tops to scroll through and have a look. I have one outlet that I look at, which is the ABC, and that's it. Because these emotions would just take over my day and I would sit there worrying about some graph I saw about China's emissions instead of being with my family. And it was just, it became, I just became fatigued from it. So I don't know if if that is the thing that you've noticed or if that's a, do you see it as a problem? Am I, am I among many? Am I on my own here? Look, I think there is a lot of fatigue at the moment. I, I hear it from others, not just from you, that, oh, it's just all too, I don't know what I can trust anymore. I, I don't want to engage with the news in the way that I used to. So I, I can understand that. I mean, my I'm a news hound. I mean, you're not in my role unless you, you love it. And in fact, so much so I get the raw Newswire. So our every story that we write, I can access and it becomes quite addictive, although it's quality, not not <laughs> rubbish. So I actually sometimes have to switch it off because I'm too uh, consumed with it. But I guess my comment on that would really be if you have a quality news service, if it's accurate, if it's trusted, I think that we will be able to, when we build that trust back up, you know, with the Australian public and with global audiences, I think that if you can trust something, you're more inclined to want to read it and to want to engage with it. Think you're going to hear an ad. You might just hear an ad. We'll be back with the show in just a moment, you know. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There was the ad. Now we're getting back to the show. When it comes to mainstream media outlets... What do you think people in power, whether that be people on the private sector power, people who's like a like a CEO of like, say, a mining company, for example, mm-hmm. or someone who's a politician or trying to become a politician in a particular seat, do you see their approach to how they treat news outlets change as they notice, oh, hang on, I might need a bit of a leg up here? That is a very good question, Osha. And I guess the difficulty that I have is I... AAP doesn't do that sort of reporting. So for us, they just know we're always going to be there and we don't get any special treatment or special, you know, we don't have any 
cosy arrangements with politicians. We just are a straight news outlet. I mean, I often see what you've described and I wonder about that myself. Yeah. It doesn't make me feel great about election day because election day is supposed to make me have exactly the same amount of power as that person in the suit getting paid a couple of hundred grand to sit at the chair of a board. But it doesn't because that person who's in a suit getting a hundred, couple of hundred grand a year to do three board meetings or four be- a board meeting a quarter, who can pick up the phone and call the head of some news agency and get some sort of influence. That's not the kind of democracy we're told is happening. That's not the democracy we're told about at school. That's a completely different kind of power structure altogether. Yes. Well, I... Uh, <laughs> That's a very good point. Um, And the only thing I would say to that is, again, it just brings, exactly that comment just brings me back to why AAP is so important to Australians because because we don't engage in any of that type of reporting. We just, we set it, we have a news conference every day. We look at the stories that we're going to cover and we go and cover them fairly and we try and achieve a really broad cross-section of, so when we're doing a, in a press conference, obviously is where a politician stands up and delivers the message that that politician wants you to take away or raises an important issue. We go to a press conference for lots of parties, including the minor parties. So I think that's what we bring that, that other news outlets may not be able to deliver. When it comes to... I guess the job of a journalist is to hold someone to account, but you've got to stand at a certain place. You may come from a place of, I think economic growth is valuable, so I'm going to, let's just say you're in charge of a mining company that has just demolished some irreplaceable uh, archaeological cultural sites in the interest of, of getting some rock out of the ground. At a press conference, you can challenge that by going, yeah, but how many jobs have been created? Or you can challenge that by going, yeah, but what about the cultural damage you've done? And the person who talks about the cultural damage might be challenged by going, you don't care about jobs. And the person who's talking about jobs might be saying, you don't care about the cultural value. When you're trying to be an independent news outlet, where do you stand when it comes to covering, like at the base of the core of where it is that you stand when you ask your questions? Is it, we are trying to protect what Australia is? And if so, what is Australia to you? Where, where is that place that you stand from? So AAP, I guess it's, again, this it's hard for people, I suppose, to understand what a newswire does and why it doesn't have that opinion because what you're describing, obviously, is people bringing their ideological background to a story and to some extent, obviously, everyone does that because we're human. Yeah. But the way that AAP approaches that story is very much, you know, why is this in the public interest? Yeah. Why do we need to ask questions about this matter, whatever it is? And I guess the way that we would approach that story is very much on a more factual basis. So, mm-hmm. sort of asking factual questions about what claims are being made or why the announcement's mm. being made or why it's important. The overlay on the opinion comes from others. Right. And that's not something that a newswire does. Well, I guess even in that, if, if we're talking about, you know, demolishing, uh, you know, Indigenous Australian artefacts, even if you just held this particular person to account over laws that had been debated upon and agreed upon by a democratically elected government, even if you did that, that could be seen by others as like, well, you don't care about jobs. Well, hang on a second here. We do. We're we're just trying to hold this person to account to a thing that we have agreed upon as a community. And that in itself would 
I guess I'm answering my own question here. <laughs> I think you're answering your own question. And also just to remember that ours is more, we report the news. So yeah. we report what was said at a press conference. We report how the press conference unfolded. Again, what you're describing, I think still is that overlay of reveal your bias, I guess, by the questions that you ask yes. in any in any scenario. But we try and ask straight down the line questions and write straight down the line reports, which might sound, as I said to you before, it's the heavy lifting. It's yeah. that base that then others can use to then write opinions or to analyse or to, but it's kind of the public record. That's what we're really here to be, to actually show that that press conference did happen because you could imagine in some circumstances you've got one, Some there's been plenty of times in the last 20 years where there's been somebody doing a press conference and there's been one journalist there and guess who that journalist is? It's AAP. Now, if no one else reports that, it doesn't mean that that press conference didn't happen and those things weren't said. AAP was there to make sure that it is on the public record. It, right. it has been reported. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm, just, I'm just flashing back to there's a, a fantastic British TV show called The Thick of It and there's a, there's a, I'm just remembering a, a particular press conference in that show where, like, there is just one journalist there and so they, they shove one of their, their lackeys <laughs> in there to ask the minister a question. <laughs> the minister goes, I'm glad you asked that. Well, blah, blah, blah. And then they're allowed, they're, they're, they have the ex, because no one was asking them <laughs> to, to, to say. Dorothy Dixon. <laughs> Dor- Dor- yeah. Dorothy Dixon. So, which is yeah. a, an Australian, no, American. She was an American agony art, like advice columnist, and, and yeah. she would ask herself her own questions so she could write <laughs> something fantastic. Right. Yeah. Yes. So, yep. Dor- yep. Dorothy Dix. Otherwise known as a setup. Yeah. As, as a setup. When you are a for profit news organization, I think the general rule is that you need to write things and show things that people want to click on and people want to see. And that will ultimately inform. The things, and you may get, you know, this cat did something cute because someone will spend 30 more seconds on your site looking at an ad versus, hey, here's a really interesting thing about Indigenous mental health that's going on in Cowra, you know, <laughs> which is affects all of us because, you know, we have a, we're a social democracy, we have a public health system, and, you know, these things are really important. What, f- what does it give you when you are not beholden to mm. stakeholders? What does it give you when you're a not-for-profit? as latitude. I think it gives us a great platform to uh, become the trusted news source for all Australians because we don't have any shareholders to please, no advertisers to please. We've got no political acts to grind and any any money that we get through philanthropy or through uh, new products or, or funding all has to stay with AAP and all we're going to be able to use that for is to keep writing news and to keep covering all of the issues that are really important to Australians. And so that's the only way it can be used for. We're not driving the bonus schemes of large executives. We're just literally putting it back in to fund the news wire. <laughs> the bonus schemes of large executives. I've been to, oh, I, I, won't, I won't just give it to one. I've been to a number of large news outlet buildings and I have seen such things as executive bathrooms because I am my job. I have my job. And if I've done a gig at one of these places as a, you know, a guest, I go, oh, no, no, use that bathroom. You're like, wow. I have been in hotels that don't have a bathroom this nice. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. It's true though. (laughs) There's a funny story about a bathroom in a news organisation in New Zealand where 
the actual organisation was really, really run down. And I went there to do a negotiation and I went into the bathroom and it was literally wall-to-wall marble. It was amazing. I mean, it was next level. And they were very keen for me to use it. So they kept shoving me, would you like to use the bathroom? Would you like to use the bathroom? So I used the bathroom and I said, wow, what's the story with the bathroom? And they said, oh, well, Sean Connery was coming out to the to do, I think it was the Rugby World Cup. And, and so therefore the bathroom was so bad, we had to upgrade it for Sean Connery. True story. <laughs> That's why they did the bathroom, just for Sean Connery. Uh, we need new bathrooms. I wonder if Sean's free. <laughs> <laughs> come, around, come around to our place. When you, obviously you got, you are someone who's got a great and lengthy career in the journalism industry and the, the industry of what it is to be news gathering and a news outlet. Where do you see it going? Where do you, where do you see the future of how we get news and yeah let's start with there look I think we're at a really interesting point in the whole you know cycle of the evolution of news in the last you know 100 years I think we've gone down to the depths of despair in the in the manner that you've described where we're not even sure if what we're reading it's masquerading as a news story is it a news story or is it just a bit of you know what is it I think the public are becoming more discerning now about what they will accept and what they won't accept. And I think that the sort of going back to what I would call the bedrock, the base of proper, trusted, and people will start to seek this out and are now prepared to pay for it. And I think that's a really great step that the Australian public and even our children, I mean, I say to my children, free news does not equal quality news. You know how much our journalists and photographers work. You've seen it. You know that that costs money. And I'm afraid to say, if you want to read something that's trusted and accurate and reliable, you're going to have to pay for it. And I think we're at now that tipping point where where the Australian public can see, look, just because I can Google it for free, I'm not sure that that's actually giving me an accurate view of that topic. And I want to know de- I want to know more about it. I want to have a deeper understanding. And I think that's really encouraging. What's kind of interesting is that the idea of like you need to pay to get something that you can trust in on the internet, it's almost like get out of here. This is a free thing. But we'll walk into a news agency and buy a half a kilo of paper for two bucks on a weekend. (laughs) No problem. Yeah, and I do think the the public have definitely, you know, we've evolved from thinking that we'll just keep trying to tap it in to find something out and keep going round paywalls because we don't want to have to pay. And I think we will end up hopefully in a situation where new technologies will develop so that that the paying is easier. You don't have to to sign up to long-term subscription contracts. You may be, you may have a particular interest. I mean, I'm, I'm all for signing up for long-term subscription contracts, by the way, but because I believe that that will help support journalism in Australia and it will help flow through to the newswire. But I do think people are now seeking out more accurate news and I think that's really important. And particularly when it's out, it's young people. It's like it's my kids, you know. It's, it'll be your, your kids. Oh, yeah. I think my my eldest, she's sixteen. She gets her um, I'd imagine she gets her news from Snapchat and TikTok. I'd imagine that's yeah, how she sees the world through that lens. Yeah, and see, I I think that's something that the news media 
industry has to do a better job at educating. I think that educating, and that's something that AAP is doing, where we're trying to get more involved in the education side of, you know, training young people how to verify something, how to understand if something is is true or false. Because that that information, if you think something is being presented as a news fact and it's accurate and it's actually not, and it has the potential to influence your voting habits, that's quite critical really. So, uh, I think that's something that we need to do more of and we need to do a better job at it that next generation. So what would you, you know, say like at dinner tonight when I'm having a chat with her, what would you say? Or what do you say to your kids? What do you say to your kids when it comes to here's the things to look for? How do you identify something that might be a little fishy or something that, oh, that's rock solid? Yeah, so I say to my children, just look at who's who's the publisher for a start or who's it coming out underneath, like whose banner is on there, who's, do you think that's a journalist writing that? Do you think it's not a journalist writing that? Have you heard of that source? Why don't you Google who that source is? If it's some supposed news company, go and find out if really if that news company actually exists and you'll often find out that, oh, no, it's just a bot. <laughs> oh, no, it's just a, you know, it's something. And, and it's quite, you know, I mean, I also, I'm a, a strong believer in, in having them read the news. So, I mean, whenever we travel as a family, I always say to them, right, every day we're going to get the paper in the hotel, summarise to me two news stories and tell me what you've read and why, you, why it was important. I know that's a bit, that's probably quite a geeky mum. But anyway, it, it, it has actually opened their mind, I think, to understanding why it's important that you, you do verify the source of what you're reading. How old were they when you started that? Uh, probably 11. That's, yeah, 12, it's not too late. <laughs> that's so good. That's really, really good. It's, it's interesting, you know, and just you only really need one layer of questioning and it's, it's you know, just a bit of a critical eye. So say, you know, a recent study has shown that I'm going to make something up. A recent study has shown that everything we knew about butter was wrong and a half a kilo every day, yeah, that's the weight I'm going with today, half a kilo every day <laughs> has been shown to fight heart disease. Brilliant, someone says. Uh, give me extra butter. I have six croissants today. Uh, research shown in the Something Something Journal of Something, and you go and look and you go look at that research. You see who paid for the research. Oh, it was the Dairy Association of America. Uh, ah, so therefore, what I've just read is probably not news. What I've read is probably PR campaign masquerading as news. And that's the, that's the other thing I think what you, you know, just touched on then is like, is it news? Is it something else? Is it a press release that has been copied mm-hmm. and pasted and had a byline and a pretty photo thrown on it? Yeah. Or even worse, is it propaganda? I mean, you know, so that's the, I, I think being able to just have that more critical mind when you are, are reading something is, is really important. And, I, and, and so AOP is very committed to trying to be involved in that education piece uh, for the next generation. <laughs> What is it, the Institute for Public Affairs? I can't remember what it is. It's like all these places with like these really actual sounding names, but they're not. They're mouthpieces, mouthpieces for special interest. And it doesn't take much to scratch the surface and have a look at what it is you're actually actually reading. When it comes to trickier things, and I touched on, say, Indigenous mental health, but let's talk about the, the, the scariest one, climate change. When it comes to something like climate change, there are a number of organizations around the world who have gone to great lengths to, oh, there's a fantastic book called uh, Merchants of Doubt, if you're interested. But there's there's a number of people who, using the influence they have, have tried to really muddy the waters and confuse a lot of people. That's not necessarily, 
necessarily deny that exists, but throw confusion to the mix. Like, oh, is it really true? Here's a person that says it's not. And it's written in black and white in the paper that told you that the Berlin Wall fell down. So it's kind of masquerading as, as real, but it's not. And we're kind of in this place now where after the summer of 1920, 19-20, sorry, I believe it was the Associated Press photographers who were out there on the front lines taking photos of Australia burning to the fucking ground. And there was those pictures that went all around the world. That was us. Yes. What role going forward do you see the Associated Press having in making sure Australia is as informed as it can be about the reality of the challenges we face from global warming? So AAP's role, as I've, I've said, is is to be the source of trusted, factual and accurate news reporting on matters of importance to the Australian public. So obviously, you know, one area of importance to the Australian public is our environment and our natural environment in Australia. AAP fulfills that obligation. I see it as an obligation and a commitment by making sure that when we cover any story on any topic, that we're covering it factually it's well-researched and it's accurate and it is not political. So our approach will never be political. It will just be all about reporting the facts. I think that what you described then is true. So, you know, we've had a you know a savage doubt and it's sort of worked its way through swathes of, of Australia and it could have easily been forgotten, I guess, by the Australian public and even the rest of the world. But we sent out a journalist and a photographer and those were those iconic images that you've seen beamed around the world. We didn't have to overlay opinion onto that. In some ways, sometimes when you present the facts, they actually speak for themselves. Yeah, and I, I guess it is in trying to unflinchingly report facts such as, all right, so this incredible life that we have in Australia, this life of bounty and abundance is fueled by the extraction of you know fossil fuels. And we are going to have to look really hard in the mirror and go, well, this can't go on. You know, we're going to have to find something else. That's a really horrible thing to, you know, face up to as a fact. And it's, I guess it's, that's really hard to do. And it, we're going to want to soften it. We're not going to want to read it. We're not going to want to be woken up to it. But these are really hard things to accept, I guess, when you're picking up your, your phone in the morning and having a swipe, aren't you? <laughs> I think for us, because we're not informed by ideology, I mm. think... It's always of concern when you have any media outlet, I think, reporting any matter of public interest or matter of public debate with an ideological bent. And I think that's the important thing that AAP brings to this discussion, which is that we we don't report that way. We are report we are the public record essentially of yeah. events that are happening in our country. So when we when we record a drought, we record it in its, you know, most raw sense, I guess. Yeah, and it is not a political thing to say, here are what the figures are, here are the countries that are moving away from coal, here is what is predicted to happen if we don't quickly figure out something else to do. That's not a political thing to talk about. That is a fact. And it's interesting <laughs> that so many people don't want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, it's okay. It's all right. I'll, I appreciate that you're so careful around this, and I'm so grateful with how generous you've been. <laughs> I, I really am. I, I really, really am. Let, let's talk about other aspects of why uh, the Associated Press is extraordinarily important. Uh, we mentioned Indigenous health. 
inclusion and diversity in sport, for example, something that we as Australians love. What does it mean to have an independent press when it comes to inclusion, diversity and access to sport in Australia? I could talk about this topic forever. So AAP has, uh, we've always been the ones that cover, we don't just cover the Olympics, we cover the Paralympics, we cover the lead up, we cover the, we're the ones that stay when everyone else has gone home. And that's been pretty, pretty well reported, uh, you know, even by the AOC. Uh, We've also covered women's sport probably before anyone else (laughs) did uh we're the ones that are there we've we cover i think we've covered every game for netball they're delighted with us you know we cover in a not in a non-discriminate way uh when we're covering say golf we will cover both male and female players we've covered you know we've done the women's afl i believe our coverage of women's sports probably some of the best in australia to be honest with you so and we don't see it as women's sport we just see it as sport which is how it should be seen. It's, so. it, yes, but someone like, for example, you know, someone like Ash Barty, for example, wouldn't have had the sponsorship opportunities she had were people not aware of the things she was doing early in her career when it was oh, yeah. a, a little less than sensational. You know, it was just like, yeah. here's a woman who's doing this thing and here's this woman from this background who's doing this thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we covered, we've been covering Ash Barty since she was a junior and, you know, we, we were highlighting her talents even right back when she was trying to decide between whether she'd become a tennis player or a, or a big bash cricket player. And our chief tennis writer has a really close relationship with her. Uh, she's a reluctant champion as we all know, uh, but we were there, you know, covering her career as it unfolded. And in fact, at, I think at, and I should, I might stand corrected on this, but I believe at Wimbledon we were there for all the opening parts of her game, you know, all of her earlier rounds. Uh, and then, of course, everyone came into the final, but we'd sort of stayed the course with her. And I think that's what AAP does really well. We cover these stories from when they're, I mean, we do all the Sheffield Shield and the the, the stuff that, that no one else really is as committed to as we are. But by the, I think people will understand this though, but when a news story becomes an undeniable avalanche, you have to remember that it started as a tiny little snowball way up the mountain. Sure. You you only see the avalanche. You don't see the 22 articles go back five years about this particular person that kept the momentum going and going and going until they got to this point where mm. suddenly everyone's there and this leads into my next question because some algorithm went, hang on, this is getting a lot of hits. Let's go write a story about that. Let's talk about algorithms and news algorithms. What are your thoughts on news algorithms and the ones that decide which articles get fed to people? Thankfully for us, we don't have to worry about that because that to me is, I mean, all the stories that we gather are based on a human making a news judgment, essentially a merits-based judgment about coverage. And thankfully, that's and that's a skill that I think journalists have had since the beginning of time to decide, you know, to make merit decisions about what they will, will and won't cover. And fortunately for us, that algorithmic decision is it's not our issue. It may be our customer's issue, but it's not ours. And, and I'm grateful for that. Because again, it frees us up to do what we've always done, which is the accurate, independent, you know, fact-based news reporting. We don't have to worry about how many clicks or how many or what advertisers are going to. We don't have to keep advertisers appeased. Where we're able to just do that, that really core journalistic practice. But when it, when it comes to people, uh, as you mentioned before, to your, the way you talk to your kids about what it is you're reading, what do you want people to understand about the not humans? that are deciding what it is that they they read? 
Well, exactly what you say, because it's just curating a news feed for you based on your own preferences. I mean, that's obviously of concern because you start to become, you know, in terms of being a, a critical thinker in this world, if all you're being fed is what you've clicked on before, your prism and your your viewpoint in life is going to become very, very narrow. And, you know, you are essentially going to become ideologically, I would say, one directional. And, and I guess because if your reference point to what is reality and what is going on, I'm going to get deep here. If your reference point to what is reality and what is going on is purely through either your phone or your laptop and every one of those windows that you look through is being affected by the algorithm, the world Mm. will absolutely 100% appear as this particular kind of place that it may or may not necessarily be. Yes. And that's really scary. That's very, yep, it's of great concern. Uh, And I think especially, again, for our children because they're not necessarily, or for the younger generation, they're not necessarily, and I'm making myself sound really old here, but they're not, and I'm not, but I think it's not in the school. I think they're learning more now how to critically analyse material, which is what you've spoken about, but I think it's got to actually become part of the curriculum really as to, you know, when you get fed that, your your prism is, as I said, just getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And then if it's then reflected back at you, if you're hanging out with a particular bunch of people who are through the same thing, even when you go to reality check with someone you, you know, go to dinner with or, you know, you play netball with or whatever, and they then feed you exactly the same thing. Oh, no, no, I hear these people of, you know, mm-hmm. such and such as color of skin have done this thing on da, da, da. Then it becomes even more reinforced and the two of you are then reacting in real- reality to something that is actually not real. Mm-hmm. And the weirdest, scariest thing is that every single one of those things is at the moment able to be manipulated by someone who pays the right amount of money, which is so scary. It's so, so, so scary. Um, So what can we do? What can we do going forward? How do we combat this and how do we take back what's real? Well, I mean, I'm, this is my obvious, again, I'm here to talk about AAP and also to talk with you, but to me, it's ensuring that we have a plurality of voices in our landscape. And to do that, AAP needs to not just survive, it's been saved, it needs to thrive. I mean, we've had to go to a crowdfunding campaign, partly as an education piece to try and let people know who our brand is, why we're important. And I think, you know, if people are prepared to support organisations like AAP, which are giving them that factual, accurate and trusted news content, that will only be good for society. And what we can do is seek out trusted news brands, seek them out, understand that you need to be reviewing a a vast array of material and not just one news source. Don't get all your news from Facebook. (laughs) My God, (laughs) that is not, news is not on Facebook. And let's also be really clear that we're not, if if you're supporting someone like AAP, you're not just supporting the news that you're consuming. You're supporting people who, for example, are in a marginal seat and then regional paper is no longer in print. COVID has done a cracking job of that. And their full news source may only be the free to wear sky news, which is on in parts of regional Victoria, which totally terrifying. And that as far as, you know, we're busy. We've got kids to feed. We've got to feed the dog. You've got to get to work. You've got to get back. You turn the news. Like, you're not, like, if you're me, you think about what you're reading. If you're busy doing your life, you'll take what's given to you. And you've got yeah. to be careful. You've got to, you've got to look out for everyone in this community, not just you and what it is in, in your own feed. And, and that's, I think that's really important. If people want to support you and the AAP and the work you're doing, how do they do it? 
Well, they can support our crowdfunding campaign, which is on GoFundMe. I've been really amazed by that because we've had, you know, we've had people that are on JobKeeper give us $10. $10. So, we've had pensioners through to politicians who've given us, who've actually, they know how important we are. And so, they've put, you know, a couple of thousand dollars in. So, we've got a vast range of support that's come through that. And that campaign is going to be running for still a few more months. I mean, we're trying to attract major philanthropy to help the more the great thing about AAP is the more money that we can raise, the more stories we can cover and the more of that independent news we can fill Australia with that that trusted news. And, you know, you can also support your your independent news organisations around Australia. I think it's really important what you just said about regional Australia. AAP, of the 400 outlets that we supply to, over 250 of them are in regional Australia. So, it's critical for them that we not yeah. just survive but that we thrive. And if you understand anything about Australian democracy, uh, a lot of the time, really, really, really big decisions in our country, which are made by one vote, are made by the person who is sitting in that seat way out there in Western somewhere. Um, And that person may have got less votes than there are people in your suburb, but this person now holds our entire country in their hands. And this is why every person in this country needs to have access to a... uh, that independent news. <laughs> yep, that's right. It's so, so, so important. It's so not just important. what you see in your phone every day. You're an extraordinary busy person. You have a C at the start of your name. You have uh, heaps of kids <laughs> in the house. Uh, there's a lot going on. Thank you so much. Uh, the last thing I'll ask you is you have a very high tension job. You are trying to juggle a chainsaw or a bowling ball and and take a bite out of an apple at the same time trying to save this institution of journalism in our country at the same time as trying to, you know, be a mum to a bunch of kids and, you know, be a a good partner. How do you do it? On On a really hard day, how do you do it? When you wake up 10 minutes before the alarm and your brain takes over and starts to give you the worries, how do you get by? What do you do? Yeah, that's a really good question and no one's asked. Probably the most <laughs> insightful question I've been asked over the last couple of months. No. Look, I am a big believer in exercise. Sadly, I get up and the first thing I do is put on my joggers and just get that headspace. For me, it's about the headspace. Other people meditate, but mine is I kind of meditate as I, as I exercise in some ways. And I think it's also just trying to get rid of the stigma of sorry. I think for particularly for women trying to juggle careers and high pressure jobs, I think we have this tendency to constantly be saying sorry. So, you know, I'm sorry I can't do that. I'm sorry I can't be here for you for this. And I think it's just trying to move away from that and just more changing the language to, you know, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do that, but I'm going to have to do it later. Or, you know, I'm with my kids at the moment. Because true flexibility involves not having to say sorry when you run down to the school to pick up your child. Like that's true flexibility, isn't it? Oh, okay. So when you're talking about getting rid of the stigma of sorry, it's the sorry directed with your back to the family as in like, yeah, I got that, <laughs> but these guys are, are here first. So I'm going to get yeah. to you, but I'm going to go look after this little one right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think I know for myself that I spent a lot of my earlier career saying constantly, you know, I'm sorry. Sorry that my child's calling, screaming while I'm on a phone call to you. Sorry. You know, you just got to move away from that because if you're in that headspace where that's all you're doing, that's going to wear you down <laughs> as, a, as a person, I think. You've just got to be able to understand that you can't be all things to all people at the same time. When you, when you first started making that shift and when you went, I'm not going to be sorry for I'm going to go, one of my kids is sick, I've got to get down to the school and whatever meeting we had planned for a month, 
is going to have to wait because I'm going to go do this. What changes about the way you do approach your work when you come back to it? So I think you can tell when somebody's a committed worker, obviously. And I think that they get the best of me when I'm working on something that I'm doing for them. And then my children get the best of me and know that I'm available to them at the same time. And I think for me, that's really important. So yeah, when you come back from doing the school run for half an hour, that's not really going to change the course of your day. And is it? It's not like you've lost half an hour of time on your work, but then if you then put in, you know, an hour and a half or two hours of really good quality work, then they get the best of you then because you haven't had to make a choice. And I think it's that that having to make a choice, I think that's what pushes women out of the workforce actually, to be honest with you. When you do prioritise your family to a degree, does it change, like people may think it might change the way that you're viewed negatively, but I get the sense that they would then have far, I certainly have noticed since Wolfie's come along, I've started to do exactly what we're talking about. I'm, I'm a white man though, so no one cares. Oh, good dad, he's being a good dad. Yeah, family first. But when you do it, do you find people are then upset about that or do they have a lot more respect? Like, oh, no, no, there's a good boundary there. I think it's the latter, yeah. I think it's that there's a good boundary there and that you've spoken up. I think for certainly for women, uh, you know, I've got a lot of women in my organisation, I think it's actually really important for them to hear that it's being articulated from me as well. I think if I'm the one saying, oh, no, well, we've got to pretend that we don't actually have children and we've actually got to pretend that there's not something, you know, in my work, you know, a couple of days a week, uh, I do have some help, but on a couple of days a week, I have in my diary blocked out, you know, I'm on the school run. But it says it. That's what it says I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. And I think it's important for other people to know that that's what I'm doing because yeah. it gives them permission to do it. If you've got a CEO that's pretending that she's, <laughs> you know, she's having to fabricate something in the diary to make it look as if you're not going out to pick up your child, well, there's nothing authentic about that and it doesn't actually help anyone. So it doesn't help the people that are looking up to you and that are asking you for leadership in that area. I've got to say, just this last week or so, my uh, Andy, my producer, is the only person on my team that shares the same chromosomal makeup as I do. Everyone else on my team is is female. And for about the last, oh, God, three or four months, they have all gone, no, no, Friday's family day. And and since then, I've gone, you know what? That's a really good idea. And and now now I'm out as well. And it's freaking good. Fantastic. It, it seemed to be like a, a you know a COVID thing is like, okay, we need to find 20% somewhere. Okay, four days a week, everybody. And that's cool. And it's really good. It's really, really good. And I found that people have better getting, you know, I'm a white man. So it's fine for me to go, I don't read emails on Fridays. People are like, hey, no problem. I'll go back to you on Monday. You know, it's, a, yeah, it's kind of shit, but <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's great. Uh, you're awesome. Thank you so much for taking so much time and explaining things sometimes four times in a row to me. I uh, really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having having me on, Osher, and also for being so interested in AAP. We, the Australian public will be the, the ultimate beneficiaries. I'm a human being who lives in the world and I've got children that I care about. And, you know, having, you know, people in power held to account because I can't challenge a politician at a press conference. I can't challenge a CEO of a company at a press conference. I'm going to can, but no one gives a shit. But I can't then go, okay, and your answer is going to be printed and said around the world. So here's my question. That's an important flame to hold people's feet to. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's really vital. And that's why democracy works. And a functioning democracy has to have a free and unbiased factual press that holds it to account. That is how it's always worked. And it absolutely has to work. And we have to protect it because if we don't protect it, our functioning democracy ceases to do so and just becomes holds the soul to the highest bidder. But, you know, I'm not telling you anything you haven't seen in a movie before. Yep. Have a cracking day. Thanks for your time. Enjoy the school okay. run. Yes. <laughs> I'm on it today. <laughs> that was the CEO of the Australian Associated Press, Emma Kodroy, and I'm sure you can agree that it's a super important thing to have in our country. Independent journalism is so, so vital right now. And as we go forward... As vested interests take hold of telling stories and, you know, we've all seen the effects of whoever controls the the story, controls the narrative, controls the action taken around that story. It's so important as we move forward. So, so, so important. So I'm grateful that Anna could come on the show today and speak about it. Please try to support independent journalism where you can more and more. You know, we are asked to uh, subscribe or pay uh, for a subscription for our online news. I thoroughly recommend doing so. I pay for my Netflix. I pay for my stand. Why wouldn't I pay for, you know, my news from where I want to see it independently and uh, hopefully unbiased and unskewed as, as much as I can? Because it's nice to know. It's nice to know what's actually what's actually going on rather than through the lens of someone who's, uh, you know, what's that great line, the great Batuta line? A couple of African kids playing soccer down the beach in St Kilda can either be a soccer game or a, or a gang, depending on <laughs> you know, who's, who's writing the story. It's pretty, it's tr- horrible, but true. So, yeah. Thanks for being a part of the show. I'll be back here on Friday. If you need anything, super easy to find me. Send us your email at gmail.com. Until we speak next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.